Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, welcome back. This is John Katsimatidis, and we got a great show for you today. And we got a studio full of uh, uh, of guests, and uh, we have two common sense Democrats, two common sense Republicans. On the Democratic side, uh, we have Judge Richard Weinberg, Governor David Patterson. On the Republican side, uh, did I get boxing gloves yet? Uh, you should. We got a tuxedo for this. Tito Fasella, uh, the borough president of the great uh, island of Staten, Staten Island. And uh, we have Ed Cox, uh, uh, 10 years GOP chairman and re-elected uh, uh, GOP chairman. And, uh, guys, there's so many things going on. I don't know where to start, but I want to start. Yesterday, we had Governor Pataki here, and there was a big powwow at, uh, with the police, uh, not with the police. With, with the, the business, the, right? The, yeah. the uh, uh, partnership. Part, New York City partnership with Kathy Wild and the 25 or 30 most important CEOs, uh, in New York City. And Governor Pataki was there and Governor Patterson. Yesterday, we heard from Governor Pataki. Today, in the studio, here is Governor Patterson. So, Governor Patterson, 25 or 30 most important CEOs. I understand J.P. Morgan. I understand Pfizer. I mean, a lot of important companies. Give us your evaluation. Uh, I mean, according to Governor Pataki, he felt that they're starting to panic that we're going to lose New York. I would <clears throat> I would say that's true. There is a feeling among the uh, the leaders that crime is a big problem. Uh, the congestion pricing is going to keep people out of the city rather than making money for the city and the state that the um, uh, just uh, construction is grinding to a halt because uh, people are not in Manhattan. The the. Um, uh, the commercial value of uh, of trade is the same around the city, but there's none of it in Manhattan where most of them are. And what I think we were trying to explain to them, because when they started coming up with solutions, they were a little grandiose. You know, we raise uh, $100 million and you give it to this one and it, that kind of thing. A long time ago, uh, when uh, the Speaker of the House, Tom... What was his name? Around 1980 is when he made the comment. My God, he, he 1980, from, that changed your history. He, he was worked, it, was well, it on Wednesday or a no, Thursday? No, he... he uh, <laughs> Foley? <laughs> Foley. Foley. Who did Foley very well. Washington. He did very well uh, working with uh, President Ronald Reagan, and he wrote a book, and in the book, in the book he writes that politics is local. Oh, Tip O'Neill. Tip O'Neill, yeah. exactly. Yeah. All right. Different Democratic speaker. <laughs> exactly. And so in this, in, in this iteration, what we were trying to explain to them is, let's take a situation right now that's going on in a number of states where people are organizing to ban books from the libraries. Now, I might be against that, but the strategy they're using is not grandiose. It's small. You get a few people together. You have an issue. You fine point what you want done, and then you start advertising it, and that's how a relatively small number of people can have a great influence on a large number of people. And we were trying to get them into that idea of having these types of conversations. We'll see uh, how it works 
we all agreed that the New York City Partnership and Kathy Wild is the best place to organize it because they have such great outreach and such great respect. And Ed Cox, do you think it was the best place to organize a meeting like this? or Because uh, I know we were talking before, and you were concerned that you need people that are going to take action. You need, you need to have an action plan there at the meeting. If you're going to have 25 CEOs, you want to tell them, this is where we're going to go and this is what we're going to do. And to do that, you need to have an agenda and you need to have staffed out in in advance. I mean, I'm uh, not sure that's the, exactly the what one happened. big thing. The, the one big thing that we're talking about, and I've said this to the governor, I've said this to the mayor, I said this to Kathy Wild, and and nobody wants to believe it. The the the, the mayor is saying that uh, uh, it's really not true. The governor is saying it's really not true. Uh, crime. People are afraid to go. Uh, you know, we used to have our stores open, Gristini stores, D'Agostino stores, open to midnight. And we don't open to midnight anymore because there's nobody around. People are afraid to walk around. And, and uh, uh, until we straighten out, we we got to, you know, we can't take all the guns and throw them in in the Hudson River. You know why? There'll be new guns. It's like saying, oh, cocaine's against the law. But anybody who wants cocaine gets cocaine. So uh, you you got to take the violent criminals at least. I'm not saying take the criminals that stole a loaf of bread because they're hungry. The violent criminals and put them away. Uh, Vito Fasella, mm. what's going on in Staten Island? I heard that Staten Island is starting to suffer with with violent crime. Yes, so we're, we're, we're not immune, and that's because of policies that you've all been talking about for the last couple of years that let violent people back on the street to commit more crimes. We have a great New York City Police Department uh, that try to keep the streets safe, but if somebody's out on by 5 o'clock after committing a crime by, at 11 a.m., you know, what to do? And I want, just wanted to respond to your question about the uh, the business meeting that Governor Patterson and Pataki attended, I think, yeah, it's an, it's an important venue and forum, but my experience is it's always better to be from the ground up to organic, authentic issues that are real, that are palpable, that hit everyday people. For example, like this congestion pricing issue, in addition to crime, it's not congestion pricing. That's a euphemism for a driving tax. You know, we we build the roads, we maintain the roads, and now we got to pay to drive well, on the roads. My position, so. Vito, is New Yorkers, we're used to paying more. We can live with anything, but we can't live with crime. That's right. And, and, and take those people that do not belong in society and let's put them away. You know, the most important issue in, for the federal, for any government is to protect innocent people. That's the one thing that we sort of come uh, to listen, agreement on. And, you're and tough. We're They're not going to stop you. I'm tough. They're not going to stop That's me because right. I'll take a baseball bat and break their head. That's right. And Ed Cox, he was a ranger. In the mm-hmm. army, okay? Airborne. So I'm counting on all you guys. And, and, you know, but but people that are just, you know, No, we brought it up people. before. Well, and, you, and you can't demoralize police. I mean, that's, that's the right. other thing. And too, that's the other problem yes, that's happening. Yes, you can't have that combination is is toxic. I mean, it is so dangerous. We're going to have, by the way, later on in the show, uh, Detective Paul, Paul DiGiacomo talking. Yes, I can pronounce his name. Yeah, exactly, exactly. See, there you go. And... He is going to talk about the fact that there was a case at the Apple store, John, and it was a repeat offender comes in. He's harassing. He's attacking people. And guess what? The cop gets arrested for stopping. Which, which is crazy. I mean, this, is, this is welcome to New York City. That's You've insanity. Created, You've created a culture. If I was in my store and people were coming in shopping, I've had a Rocky Calavito baseball bat 
I will show them the back. And if they're coming at me, I will crack their heads off. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and guess what? Sadly, you might get arrested for that, John. I, I mean, that's well, unbelievable. I'm going to still crack their heads off. You've got some okay. attorneys who can bail okay, you out. Okay, we'll bail you out. They'll bail me out. The judge is bail me out. That's actually no. I, I know and, the, and, I know and, the court. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Absolutely. John, was that Rocky Calavito bat from when he was with the Yankees or the Tigers? Oh, my God. I thought, was he with Cleveland? Cleveland Indians. Cleveland. Wait, listen. Let's get the record straight, Governor. It was the Cleveland Indians. But more importantly, what they've done is they've created a culture where the police know that the elected officials do not have their back, that yeah. they're hostile. And that's it. <clears throat> the police officers are at a point where they'll look away because they're scared of getting involved. Right. They don't want to get held in. Well, our Marine, the Marine was trained to, to help Americans, and in the train, Daniel Penny, right? The Daniel yeah. Penny. Absolutely. And not on, gets, not, not the, on Staten the, Island. The good guys, the good guys get arrested. Yeah, it is uh, insane. By the way, Rocky Calvito did pay, play for the Tigers with um, – <laughs> he did play for the Tigers uh, along with Al Kaline and Norm Cash. They were the big three at the Tigers. Well, wow. now, now that we cleared that up, okay. now that we cleared that okay. up, <laughs> okay. is the show over now? Is that it? <laughs> the show is over. That's it. I Democrat against Democrat. Your tactics is calling in, and let's see how. And she's one tough girl too. Yes, yeah, she sure is. Yeah, Congresswoman. First of all, we got a lot on migrants, but I got to get you to react to this because businesses are scared to death. Everybody's scared to death about this random crime and the repeat offenders. Your thoughts. Look, you're absolutely right. I mean, the state has set up these businesses for failure, whether it be shutting them down during COVID, whether it be allowing them to be victims of burglary and robbery, uh, whether it's just high taxes and congestion pricing fees now. Uh, look, the state is setting us up for failure, unfortunately. Kathy Hochul and the state legislature have put in policies in place that have simply made us less safe. Uh, they, they, and they know that 61% or more of New Yorkers are concerned about crime. And what do they do? They double down. They continue to introduce and pass more ridiculous pieces of legislation that tie the hands of the cops, that make it more difficult, that actually put criminals before victims. Uh, and, you know, sadly, we had an opportunity to uh, replace the governor and uh, New Yorkers, we, we, you know, we didn't do it. Too many people fled instead of stayed here to fight with us. And I think that really is what, what happened. And these people feel emboldened now to continue these ridiculous policies. Yeah, you know, uh, Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis, you're right. And look what happened in Chicago. Uh, I thought Lori Lightfoot was the worst, and then the worst of the worst came in, uh, and he gets elected. Uh, you know, it's like, can you thought, okay, here's a moment for Chicagoans to turn around, and they didn't. Uh, Ed Cox? Uh, uh, Lee Zeldin, though, what you're referring to, did such a successful campaign on the issue of crime that, in fact, Governor Hochul started really paying attention to and to it and trying to do something about it. Isn't that right, Congresswoman? Well, um, you know, the we're losing you. We're losing you a little there. They they pretended like they did something about it. Uh, unfortunately, it was uh, just show. You know, they, they said that they were going to go there and make reforms and allow judges to have discretion. And as you know, and I'm sure the judge could talk more about it, they didn't go nearly as far enough. They gave judges discretion, but not to consider dangerousness. They just simply said that, well, if there's multiple times that they've been arrested, a judge can have some discretion, but you can't consider whether somebody's actually a danger to society, which is just ridiculous. One of the only states in the nation to do that. Um, and, and I think it is the only state, state that does that's, that. That's correct. It's the only state. And the federal system allows for 
a consideration of dangerousness. You have the 49, allow for it. We're the only one. We're the outlier. And it's exactly. a very bad situation. And plus, it's not just the, the so-called bail reform. It's also discovery laws. Prosecutors can't make their cases on time because of the discovery. And then it's the uh, the yeah. raise the age issue. They come up every day, Congresswoman. They come up with another bad idea that they push through the supermajority in the legislature, and it makes it worse and worse and worse to try to maintain public safety. Yeah, and then and the members in the city council, including uh, you know one of them, Justin Brannon of Brooklyn, voted to uh, consider releasing more people from jails in New York City. Imagine that. You know, like there's not enough people that have been released from our jails that they want to do more of that. Uh, it's like, you know, there's such a rush to close Rikers Island um, and, and, and just allow uh, the streets to be taken over. There's absolutely no punishment. Think about this. With the bail law, right, who is actually going to Rikers these days? You have to be like somebody accused of, murder of of rape of something truly serious for you to even end up in Rikers but yet here they are chipping away wanting to release more and more people from our prisons you know uh congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis I have to ask you as we're talking about rising crime and the effects that it's having on businesses consume everybody in New York uh some huge headlines that just came out a little bit ago uh, Eric Adams, of course, the mayor of New York, saying we have no more room. He's actually distributing flyers telling migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border to consider another city, um, you know, and it's costing $8 million a day. You just uh, worked on passing a bill barring the use of U.S. public schools as migrant shelters because Mayor Eric Adams wanted to put them back in schools. I, I mean, this is crazy. Yeah, I mean, he should consider telling the president to stop the chaos. I mean, quite frankly, this was a manufactured crisis by the Biden administration. They chose to undo the policies of President Trump that were stemming the flow at the at the border, that were providing some type of clear order and process, that were telling people they had to remain uh, in their in in a, this next safe country, not come over the border to apply for asylum. We know that roughly two-thirds of the cases in court uh, just this past year uh, were denied asylum cases, which means that these people are truly here illegally, that they are using asylum uh, to try to get in the country, but they don't qualify for it. And what they're doing is creating a tremendous backlog in the system where it's now a 10-year wait to have your No, no, but it's all ridiculous, Nicole. Governor Patterson, last question, because we got... uh uh, we had the attorney the for the whistleblower. The attorney for the whistleblower. Yeah. Oh, I, I just wanted to say that in his statement, Mayor Adams was critical not only of the federal government, but even mm-hmm. of the state of New York. Now, I don't see how the state, if it's not getting any more than the city does, can do anything. But I admired the fact that he would step out there and do that. And when they first brought the migrants in, he was critical, and he got kicked off the president's re-election campaign. Yeah, that's right. They paid him back. That's right. They're like, maybe he's not the best guy. Does the White House take no prisoners? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> it, it took well, one, I but got, I, I really, I really like the things and, he said. And, 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 yeah, well, I know you got Vito in the studio too, and Vito and I worked together uh, to to try to call on this mayor to stop misinterpreting the right to shelter law that is truly intended for uh, citizens that are homeless. It was never intended for individuals who crossed over the border last week. And I think that the, the mayor just continues to incentivize it as opposed to... And, and by the way, Nicole, for everybody to know, uh, and this is certified, uh, we had Tom DiNapoli on on Tuesday, then we had uh, uh, the uh, uh, Paul Zuber uh, from the Business Council on yesterday. The, the amount of money coming in 
uh, from New- for for income taxes from New York State was down thirty percent for the first quarter. Well, I mean, that's not a surprise, right? I don't think to anybody we are driving, uh, we are seeing people driven out uh, by this by this governor, by our state legislature, by uh, the mayor. Uh, people are concerned about crime. People are tired of being taxed to death to not receive the quality of life that they deserve. Keep, they keep, keep my family safe, and you want to tax me, tax me, but keep my family safe. Thank you, yep. Nicole Magnitakis. We love you, and keep fighting for all New Yorkers. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, guys. And joining us now, as we were just talking about, is the attorney, Mark Lytle. He represents the IRS whistleblower, uh, the senior agent, Gary Shapley, who delivered bombshell testimony yesterday before Congress. Uh, Mr. Lytle, great to have you back here on Cats and Cosby. I got to get your reaction. Everybody is talking about uh, the hearing yesterday. I've covered a lot of hearings. It was one of the most riveting. And I found Gary Shapley. So credible. He and also the other guy, uh, Joseph, uh, the, the guy who worked underneath Ziegler. him. Yeah, Ziegler. Thank you. Yeah. Um, the two of them were incredibly credible. And Gary Shapley, I just thought you looked in his eyes. I don't know how anybody watching yesterday's hearing could walk away and not say these guys are competent. He talked about all the investigations he did. Um, your thoughts and how did, how did he feel he did and where does he think it goes from here? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. And um, I can tell your viewers, uh, who, if you didn't get a chance to see that hearing yesterday, these two agents came forward and they were courageous. They uh, withstood very much uh, scrutiny and hard cross questions from a lot of Democrats. And, um, and they, did, they did amazing. They, they withstood any kind of stuff that was thrown at them. They're credible, and what they say is backed up by their documents. And um, it was really, it was really quite, it was quite an experience to see these guys stand up to it. And it just shows that when uh, when you lie, there's several versions of a lie. But when you have the truth, there's only one version. And these guys were telling the truth, and it was credible and it's backed up. So. Uh, they told the story about the special treatment, about the prosecutors shutting down avenues of investigation that could have led to um, President Biden or other uh, evidence that could have led against uh, Hunter Biden. And um, and they kept working. They kept working. And ultimately, they recommended felony, uh, felonies, a number of felony counts, along with the line prosecutors that came out during the hearing. Um and somewhere along the line, the, the recommendations ended up in a black hole, and we're here, sitting here with misdemeanor plea uh, next week for Hunter Biden. You know, that was so stunning, was by the way. Hearing. Mark Lytle, that point was stunning. That uh, To me, when they walked through and said, here are all the layers, these guys who are deeply experienced, their supervisors all said, yeah, we're signing off on felonies because of what was recited as literally the tens of millions of dollars that was recited yesterday during the hearings. And then suddenly... It goes into a black hole. I, I, I thought that was one of the most powerful moments. And uh, it's uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, Mr. Lytle. Good to talk to you again. My yeah, problem. Nice to speak with you. My problem was what they did is they made these personal attacks on these two witnesses as if to try to portray them as disgruntled employees. And in fact, all the facts and there were a whole bunch of people who supported them in the actions that these were real felonies, that they were pushed aside. There were recommendations 
that were made up and down the line and it was yanked from under them. And then they took these folks off the case because they were getting too close to searching out the truth. What say you, sir? Yeah, Judge. I mean, it's uh, it's it's easy to try to just say, oh, disgruntled. Um, but, you know, in this case, they, they supported everything they have to say with documents. And uh, the, the big missing piece to all of this is the Department of Justice's explanation for what happened here, because we know it went to the department, to the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia with a Biden appointee, and it was turned down. It was declined charges. And we know that the, all the line prosecutors, the AUSA, the tax division attorneys, and the agents all signed off and recommended felony charges. The Department of Justice is just remaining silent, and they're not they're not explaining. And at some point, they're going to have to explain because uh, I think Congress is going to hold them in contempt if they don't get over there and, and do that. But That's we'll, what we'll I was going to say. What do you hope happens now? Because to me, somebody is lying. I mean, after hearing everything today and how credible you're this uh, Gary Shapley and Joe were uh, to me, there are such different versions. So what do you hope happens now? The American public, we deserve the truth. Well, U.S. Attorney Weiss uh, is at the center of this uh, this whole storm, and he has now submitted three letters. Um, I call it vanilla, strawberry and chocolate, because every letter has said something different and inconsistent with the other letter. And each letter he sent to Congress trying to explain what happened. He first started out by saying he had unimpeded authority to charge wherever, whenever, and and whatever. Uh, His second letter said, well, let me expand. And his second letter said, let me expand on this. And um, he said he doesn't have the ability to charge outside his district. And he explained that it's common to try to partner with another uh, U.S. attorney when they charge outside the district. The difference between those two letters, there's only one thing that happened in between those two letters. Gary Shapley's transcript and documents were released to the public. And that's why Weiss had to sort of re-explain himself. And so each time Weiss says a story, it gets really, I think ultimately, my prediction is, Gary Shapley's testimony is going to be held up at the end of the day. It's going to come out that Weiss went to the U.S. Attorney's Office in the District of Columbia, a Biden appointee, was declined, and it's totally contrary to what Merrick Garland has been telling the public, that this is a Trump appointee who has independent authority and he can charge wherever he wants to. I think it's going to come out that that's, that's not a true statement. Yeah, wow. Well, it was it was so powerful. Uh, Mark, thank you. we got to get Gary on the show, too. We want to hear from him, too, and it's terrific to have you here. Thank you yeah, so much. Thanks for having me. And, you know, so what's next? The plea is next week, right? So let's see what happens, what the judge does with that plea. Absolutely. The Hunter Biden. Plea. Sounds good. Thank you, Mark. Yep. Okay. Very much. Well, and everybody stay with us here on Cats and Cosby. Rudy Giuliani is up next. Uh, there was some explosive stuff today uh, that talks about allegations of Biden bribery. That big secret document, it just came out. Rudy's going to talk about that and a lot more. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And welcome back to Cats and Cosby. Uh, by the way, Judge, what did you think? What do you think is going to happen with the plea deal? Ne- well, next week is the hearing. I, can, I honestly tell you, sitting in a comparable court, in state Supreme Court, which is equivalent to U.S. District Court, I would never take that plea I would insist that more facts 
come out. There's no rush to judgment here. I would not accept it. All right. Let's see what happens. And by the way, uh, speaking of deals, uh, New York City has agreed to pay out $13 million uh, to more than a 1,000 New Yorkers arrested in the, quote, summer of love, summer 2020, George Floyd demonstrations. And joining us to talk about this and also what's been happening with uh, police officers, the officer that was, as I mentioned, charged after being, quote, assaulted. She, he was charged with assaulting at the Apple store, and it was a repeat offender. Uh, joining us to talk about all of this is Detective Paul DiGiacomo. He's head of the President's Detectives Endowment Foundation. He's also a Staten Islander, like Vito Fisella, who's here in studio. Uh, oh, Paul, great. you know, Paul, this is amazing. Um, first off, um, what's your reaction to that, uh, the officer who was charged at the Apple store? Uh, there is so much frustration. It was a repeat offender. The guy looks like he's turning to attack him and what he's supposed to not defend himself. Well, you know, it's a, a travesty of justice that uh, they arrested this poor police officer. Uh, he was called there. Uh, the, this disorderly person was in the store for 40 minutes and he was escorting him out. And uh, he felt that his, uh, he was threatened with physical harm and he, and he took the appropriate action. Uh, what amazes me is that, is that the district attorney uh, in Manhattan uh, does not prosecute these type of crimes unless a police officer is involved or a detective is involved. And it's a, it's, it's a pretty sad state of affairs, what's going on in the borough of Manhattan. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, this comes also, as I talked about, this settlement. Um, and the settlement stems for, uh, they're basically saying that the civil rights of these uh, protesters, some of them I call rioters, uh, 1,300 people, they say their rights were violated because they were participating in free speech and that basically, you know, members of the NYPD crossed the line. Um, what, what is what is your thoughts about this? Well, the reality is this. The police department does not respond unless they are given orders, and the orders came from City Hall. So they, uh, they, they followed orders, and now they're, they're caught holding the bag now. You know, these individuals ruined people's lives. They assaulted over 400 cops and detectives. They looted stores from mom-and-pop stores to high-end stores. And there were no consequences. Cause but the, the why are we paying them then? Why are we paying them? Well, that's, that's the reality. I mean, the city of New York should really be taking these cases to trial and not settling out of court. Yeah, what message does it send? I mean, to me, it incentivizes... You know, I, I mean, I, I well, looked at the numbers, by the way. You know how many people way? were killed during uh, during the summer of love? Twenty five people, two billion dollars worth of damage around the country. I mean, I'm it's never going to forget that scene where, where, where the looters were walking out of Macy's with all hands full. I'm never going to forget that scene. And no, and 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 the mayor gave orders not to do anything to them. Yeah, stand down basically, and and they. Did. I remember the scene. And you, know, awful. And you know what, John? When they when the mayor finally said, Mayor Bill De Blasio at the time finally said, "Okay, you guys can intervene." Basically, guess what? Then it suddenly calmed down. Thank goodness for our officers. You incentivize rioters, and you de incentivize. Police officers. Well, you incentivize them and you reward them. Right. It's a it's a formula for disaster for, for no civilization. Yeah, Paul. What is the message, uh, Paul DiGiacomo, head of the Detectives Endowment Association? What's your What is the message that this sends? As John was talking about all the looters and and Macy's, and you think about all the stores, um, and to well, say, message, well, you know what, we're going to pay them. The message is loud and clear uh, that if you're a New York City police officer or detective. Uh, that you proceed with caution when responding to these type situations. 
you know, uh, you, you, we raised our hand and we took an oath to uphold the law. But so did every district attorney in New York City. They did the same. They raised their hand and they took an oath. They have to enforce these laws and prosecute these laws, and they're not. And until they do that, uh, you know, uh, there's going to be more problems moving forward. Are we having any, uh, is it any better hiring new police officers to replace the ones that are leaving? From my understanding, I was, was speaking with the PBA, it is getting better than it was because of the uh, the salary increase, but it's a dying profession. It's a very difficult profession right now, and uh, a lot of verbal and physical abuse these uh, these cops on the street are taking, and uh, nobody gets paid enough to be verbally and physically abused. Go ahead, Vito Vasella. Hey, Paul, uh, Vito here. Um, thanks for you, Vito. How are you? Oh, great. Thanks for what you do. There's no greater group of detectives in the world than the New York City detectives. So well, what has happened since that summer of 2020 to today, and, and what do you see going forward in light of all these bad policies that are in place and what your your men and women have to deal with on a daily basis? Well, I think many of our elected officials, not you included, naturally, Vito, uh, you know, they, they're constantly putting in legislation uh, to, to tie the hands of the police. They enact laws that uh, tie the hands of the police and make it more du- difficult to, uh, you know, arrest these criminal, the criminal element. Uh, but they never put in any legislation uh, to do anything for the victims of crime uh, that are suffering greatly throughout the city, nor that they put in any, any legislation to help the police. You know, uh, years ago, it was uh, politicians and the district attorneys worked hand in hand with the police department. Today, they don't. And because of that, you have more victims of crime. Yeah, it's terrible. Well, we got to support our men and women in blue. Uh, Paul DiGiacomo, thank you very much. Uh, keep us posted on everything there. We appreciate you. God bless. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. And coming up, we got Rudy Giuliani, John. Let's take that break first, and we're going to come back with Rudy because there's so many things happening. I really want his opinion. Let's take that break. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby, and this is explosive. What just came out, uh, Chuck Grassley, Senator Chuck Grassley releasing this big, big document, basically revealing what an FBI informant said, pointing to Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. Wow. Let's go to New York's biggest and greatest mayor ever, America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, Rudy, you know, this is this is really powerful. I know you know a lot of details on it. Uh, this is jaw-dropping. I'm reading it here right now. This is this Burisma yeah. chief who, in this document that now is shown to the world to see, uh, it's going to cost me $5 million to pay one Biden, $5 million to another Biden. And this informant, who was well-regarded within the FBI, says that he was clearly understood it to be Joe Biden is one of them, and that there are audio recordings that he has and apparently other family members have, uh, 15 with Hunter, two with himself, and also Joe Biden. Wow, Rudy. Yeah, well, Zloshevsky, uh well, first of all, I know I know about this, and I have it in front of me. <laughs> and uh, Zolchevsky is the uh, major player here. Zolchevsky was the owner of Burisma. He created Burisma when he was a government minister. Catch this. And he awarded himself the best oil and gas contracts in Ukraine while he was the minister of energy. 
he stole them for other companies. He built the biggest oil and gas company in Ukraine, left government. He had a partner. His partner disappeared and died within five weeks. And now he owned 100 percent of it. And uh, the allegations against him are staggering. And when the new government took over, he was the prime guy they were going to take out, Poroshenko's prime target. In other words, they were going to take the business away from him. So he immediately lined up political protection for himself. I think this actually points out he got a former Polish president that he paid off. Uh, He's a couple of people in England. And then he uh, got to um, he, he dealt with Devin Archer and he got to Joe Biden that way. And the deal, which I've always tried to explain from the beginning, but, you know, I was a liar and whatever. Uh, this goes back four years ago, the first time I gave this to Hannity. The deal was that if and when Poroshenko tried to seize his company, which is worth about $40 billion at this point, Oof. Joe was going to intercede and stop it because Joe was the most powerful man in Ukraine. Obama had appointed him point man, and he was in charge of distributing all of the money, and Ukraine had no money. So Joe waited for the right moment when they were desperate for money. And uh, he said, you're not getting it. Now, now you know Joe's confession, right? When that big, the big thing on the thing we see on TV all the time. Where yeah, he, the, where he says, uh, the son of a bee. Uh, he, yeah, he got fired. Isn't that interesting? Within X hours, you know, that moment, the famous uh, where he um, said, yeah, I fired that prosecutor from Ukraine. It's right on YouTube, whoever wants to see it. And it was at the Council on Foreign know. Relations. Yes. You could not do it at a more prestigious foreign policy institution. He bragged about it. Yeah, yeah he, he bragged, bragged about, about it. it there. I, I, I can't believe he would do that stuff. My God. Well, how, yeah. about they, how about they clap for him? Even though if you, if you want me to analyze that for you, that's a straight out and out bribe that he uh, admitted to. And these, these guys clap for it because that's probably the way they do business. I mean, somebody should look at the audience and see who's clapping for a bribe. So let me, let me ask you, Rudy, now with this document out that, that people, it's all for the whole world to see. And it comes from a credible FBI informant. Who has been informed, right? Someone who's had, they, they've said, they've testified. So where does it go? Rudy, where does it go? I mean, are they going to try to find the guy? Are they going to try to find? Because to me, the fact that this has not been looked into is damning. Good luck. I mean, this guy is definitely for real. So are the four other people they have, by the way. I mean, there's more than this. I told you, I told you when the first one came out, it was the tip of the iceberg, right? Yep. Well, we're getting into the iceberg now, not all the way there. So, you know, you know, I want to ask you, Rudy, too. Devin Archer, you brought up an interesting name there. Devin Archer is the guy who was on the Burisma board with Hunter Biden. Um, He is apparently cooperating now, uh, may testify as early as next week uh, to uh, Congress. You just brought up his name tied to this. Could he have also more details on this? I mean, like you said, it seems like they are closing in. First of all, you know, with this and what you already have and Hunter's admission that 50 percent of the money went to his father. And the, and now you have a couple of the bank accounts. I mean, you, you could make the case tomorrow. This, the, you have the two major conspirators testifying against him, meaning Zoshevsky and his son. His son has already said that his father got 
50% of his income. So you, you put all that together, plus the bank records they have, you have a RICO case. All right, this is, this, you know, we're going to take this step by step. Let's make sure everything uh, adds up. And uh, Rudy, thank you for everything you do, and thank you for staying on top of this. You're welcome. You're welcome. But this is, this any normal person right after this, you have a search, you probably go to jail in about two weeks. Yeah, and Trump, they do it in two minutes. <laughs> they have to do a little checking. But the minute he said $5 million for one and $5 million for the other, while he's vice president of the United States, I mean, no vice president ever got anywhere near $5 million. Is that on the YouTube uh, tape uh, at the Foreign Relations? No, that, that's on this, no. uh, this new no. document that they just got released. Okay. This new doc that that's just came out, John. Wow. All yeah, right, but Rudy, who was saying that? Uh, that is, uh, this is this FBI informant says the head of Burisma Said told to him, him and right. he says he has audio tapes to back it up. Wow. All right. Tune in uh, next okay. week. And yeah, let's see Rudy, what happens. Wow. Thank you, Rudy. <laughs> okay, Thank you, Rudy. Thank you, Rudy. Who do we have now? And now we have Dr. Mark Siegel, because as we're talking about Congress and explosive hearings. One good uh, guy. Yeah, One good guy. We love Dr. Mark Siegel. And there was a big hearing today with RFK. Uh, testifying today. Uh, Dr. Mark Siegel, I want to get your response because they shut him down when he was trying to question a number of different things early on. The hearing today was about social media and free speech. Um, you also wrote a really powerful column uh, in The Hill about lab leaks versus wet markets. Take it away, Dr. Mark Siegel. First, I want to say that uh, Rudy, who was just on, scared me with his hoarse voice. I thought, that's RFK Jr. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) He's probably dying to get on John's show as it is. So it could have been him. And, you know, he used to have a radio show, you know, called Ring of Fire. And I was on that show many times. RFK Jr., first of all, is quite articulate. He certainly can take care of himself. And he's, he's, he's a tough customer. But I have a couple of things about this. First of all, let's get back to the idea of free speech. All of this is about whether the government gets to censor you or not. And I say they don't. We're not a totalitarian society. If we want to be, we can change you know, our flag to China or something or Russia. We're not. And it's time we recognize that. He can say anything he damn well pleases. Having said that, I really was offended by all of the Holocaust stuff that came out. And I said that on TV today because I don't know that Debbie Wasserman Schultz is wrong to call him out on that because I don't believe believe that there should be moral equivalences ever made to to uh, to the Holocaust. And Harris Faulkner said to me after we were on, you know, same thing for slavery. Like, let's leave these things alone and not make these comparisons. In terms of his issues with the vaccine, as John knows, I don't share those issues. I, I've seen multiple studies now, including the recover trial in nine in five million people that show that being vaccinated decreases your risk of, of long COVID. It's clearly decreased your risk of severity. I think what people reacted to was the mandates, having this shoved down your throat, having this idea that it's their way or the highway, the idea that they know and you don't know. And if you disagree with them, you're you're misinformed or you're disinformed. And all of that is nonsense. But it doesn't mean that I agree with RFK Jr.'s views on vaccines. I don't. And I don't. I I also do believe one last thing, just to cover everything you asked me. I think it's, it's quite likely that this may have spent time in a lab. And I think that the narrative that came out at the beginning of the pandemic suppressing that idea was disgusting, especially since we're talking about the Wuhan lab, 
the Wuhan virus, the lab had safety uh, violations. It had people getting sick in the lab. They were working on bad coronaviruses in the lab. I mean, you, you, you couldn't make this stuff up. Right. And, and even there's been some new details. I saw, I'm sure you saw this, Dr. Mark Siegel, where Dr. Fauci, one of his, like, I think it was a private email that just was made public recently, where it basically said that he was even thinking about it, but then he didn't say that publicly. Um, and to be able to question it, we should all try to figure out what the origins were, wherever it is. If anything, Rita, this is the biggest mistake of the pandemic was that the public health officials and the government always seem to think they had to stick to one narrative. Let's clean up the narrative, get the one that's most likely to be true in our eyes at any given moment, and then just dogmatically insist on it. That's a mistake. Science isn't about debate, but it is about trial and error, experimentation, and learning more and more over time, and then employ it. Nobody believed that this mask religion was real. Come on, every. Everybody in the country knew that that was a phony political stunt because they stopped wearing them as soon as as soon as the light went green. Right. As soon as the light turned green, everybody threw out their masks except me. Yeah, absolutely. And let's go to uh, Ed Cox. You got a question for Dr. Mark Siegel, Ed. Yeah, there was a problem because there was some American government money that was involved in the in the things that were being done in the Wuhan lab. Wasn't that a problem for Dr. Fauci? Well, I yes, yes, there was NIH money. It's because Dr. Fauci, after 2003 and SARS, Ed, believed in an international consortium of scientists that was going to be wide open and transparent, and that ended up with NIH funding, and that idea was it was going to keep another SARS from happening, but there's no reason to believe at all, we're not stupid, that there wasn't a cover-up here when the first thing that China did was not allow people in. I mean, excuse me, the CDC asked to come in in January of 2020, and they were told no. And by the time anyone came in, and this is to your point, Ed, by the time people came in, the WHO with them was Peter Dashik, who is a great scientist, but was had received money for doing this kind of research. So it wasn't in his best interest to come out there and say it's a lab leak, if anything, the opposite. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Dr. Mark Siegel, really great to have you here. We love you and we love your spirit. A- and I heard that John uh, goes to breakfast with you, so I'm waiting for breakfast at some point, all right? Why, why aren't you coming out there? He keeps getting these amazing guests. I know. Well, I, I get the, the amazing gov- guests in studio instead. <laughs> he's, got, he's got the governor of New York coming to one of those breakfasts. Did he tell you that? Well, we have a, a, a governor of New York, a former governor right here. We have Governor Patterson. <laughs> yeah, we got it all. Yeah. We got it all. Governor Patterson is amazing, and I would love to meet him at one of these breakfasts. Yeah, I mean, well, he's here in studio, so you got to come by. Well, you gotta, Governor <laughs> Patterson is in the Hamptons. He's going to stop by uh, breakfast. Absolutely. Because there's food there. There's no food in your studio. I, there's food in there. <laughs> <laughs> Set your standards. Good point, Dr. Mark Siegel. We love you. Thank you, doctor. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. And now we go to another doctor, uh, probably one of the greatest neurosurgeons ever, also former HUD Secretary, the great Dr. Ben Carson joins us here on Cats and Cosby. Uh, Dr. Carson, great to have you here, my friend. Thanks. Always good to be with you, Rita and John. You know, I, I have to ask you, Dr. Carson, what did you make of this? Um, there was a recent settlement. We were talking about first there was a settlement. I don't know if you saw it came out today where a number of the folks who were protesting slash rioting uh, during the summer of love of 2020 are getting money from New York City saying the police crossed the line. And this also comes, there was another case recently uh, where black and Hispanic New Yorkers 
who failed teachers tests um, that they are getting part of a big settlement, one point eight billion in that case. Your, your thoughts on both of those things? Well, there, there seems to be a, a lot of money, slush funds going around to uh, encourage people to do things that are advantageous for a certain philosophy. And, uh, you know, it goes with all the corruption that's going on in our society right now. It's probably the, the greatest danger uh, right now is the fact that our federal agencies, particularly our law enforcement agencies, are being utilized as weapons. And I, I hope the average American recognizes that this is the, the threat to our survival. This is the major threat. And, you know, this election that's coming up, you know, it's not about Democrats or Republicans. It's about whether we remain a free country or we turn into something else. You're talking about um, uh, some of the politicization with members of the FBI and DOJ. Is that what you're referring yes. to? Yes, absolutely. It all goes hand in hand. Money being passed out, wink, wink here and there, differences in the way that people are being treated. Um, and it's incredibly destructive, particularly for young people who are growing up under that system. They get used to it. Yeah, and that's, those, a, that's an interesting point. Before, yeah, those of us who, who knew what real freedom and prosperity was are, are rather alarmed. And, uh, it seems like the big swamp in Washington wants to stay a swamp. Yeah. And uh, both sides of the swamp are covering each other, and uh, they don't want anybody that might be legitimate in. Yeah, absolutely. And and you see the in- incredible uh, vehement, vehement uh, hatred that they have for Trump, that they have for RFK, uh, that they have for anybody who threatens the livelihood of the swamp. Yeah, and and I never thought, by the way, today, I was watching the hearings, I never thought I'd, I'd hear Democrats bashing a Kennedy. You know? I mean, think about the irony of this. Avito Fasella? <laughs> yeah, and it's a multi, multi-trillion dollar swamp. And if things don't get better, consistent with Dr. Carson's uh, desire, it's only going to get worse. And speaking of Kennedy, one of the, I'm just curious, Doctor, to hear your comments on one of the things Robert Kennedy said today, he said, trusting the experts is not a function of science. It's not a function of democracy. It's a function of religion and totalitarianism and does not make for a healthier population. That was one of the sort of things yeah, that was revealed today. Absolutely. And it's a function of the administrative state who gets to name who's the expert. And, of course, it's only the people who agree with them. Yeah, and not to be able to, you know, even we had Dr. Mark Siegel on, um, which you may have heard right before you, Dr. Ben Carson, and he said he didn't necessarily agree with what um, RFK was saying, but that RFK has a right to say it and and to be able to question it. RFK had an interesting line today. Um, He said uh, in the hearing that he said he went around telling everybody about the dangers of mercury and fish, and nobody at that point was calling him anti-fish. (laughs) <laughs> and he said, and he said, I'm not anti-vaccine. I just think there should be questions. That was that was the way he phrased it. Your thoughts, Dr. Carson? Well, you know, he's right about that. You know, our whole approach to COVID was crazy. You know, the the FDA had a rule that said, in order to give issue an EUA, an emergency use authorization, there can't be any other viable treatment. Now, is that the craziest thing to do? 
when you're facing a pandemic, you should be saying all avenues are open. We're going to be looking at everything that is even potentially effective. And that way, you know, things like hydroxychloroquine uh, wouldn't have been just thrown aside. Instead, you would have said, why is it in West Africa along the coast that almost nobody has COVID? Yes. Doctor, and the answer is because they use that yes. for anti-malaria. Doctor, we only have one minute left, but I want you to have the opportunity to tell a couple of million uh, New Yorkers what, what you want to tell them. Well, I want to tell them that we have a real serious educational problem right now. And our, our children are not being taught like they were before. When Alexis de Tocqueville came here in 1831, one of the things that surprised him so much was how educated the American people were. Now he'd be shocked at how uneducated they are. And uh, that's why uh, with American Cornerstone, we created the Little Patriots Learning Program, littlepatriotslearning.com, free of charge, incredible review of American history and the principles that made us into a great nation because we have to fight against the indoctrination that's going on with our kids. We can't just complain about it or we will lose the generation. Absolutely. We agree 110%. The American kids are getting... Uh, the nicest way I can say it's screwed. Yeah. Uh, we're number fifty-eight in the in in the world in in uh, education, and we got to do something about it. And Dr. Ben Carson, we support you one hundred and ten percent. Whatever we can do to help, we love you. you. And your life story now. is amazing, Dr. Carson. What you what <laughs> you you are like such a great role model to so many young people. What you overcame. Bravo! Well, thank, thank you for you. being here. Thank, thank you. you. We'll, we'll, let's catch up soon again. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you. Wow. What an interesting show, you guys. Wow, wow, wow. And, uh, John, what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, and the American way. God bless America.